I was giving myself every excuse not to go to law school. Like, oh, I'm a single mom. How am I going to get that done? Or, oh, her father is incarcerated. That's embarrassing. Or, you know, I just had every excuse in the book. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to just take control of my life. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to achieve. And I'm just going to go after what I want to do. And so instead of making an excuse, I just made a way. Welcome back to the Innovator Podcast, the female entrepreneur series that dives into the stories of how women founders tackled hardship and difficulties to ultimately find success. My name is Erica Sullivan and I'm the host of the Innovator Podcast. And today I'm welcoming Asia Marie Woods. Asia Marie is an attorney, speaker, and advocate for single moms at the lawyer next door in the law offices of Asia Marie Woods. She's an attorney for entrepreneurs who encourages her clients to go big, never play small, and to make sure all of their legal ducks are in a row. Asia Marie received her JD from the University of Pittsburgh School of Law and received her bachelor's degree from Georgia State University. Prior to going into law, she was a dance and performing arts major in Philadelphia turned makeup artist in her early career. Talk about a transition. In today's episode, Asia Marie shares her personal trademark mishap story and the legal protections every entrepreneur needs to know to be successful. Asia Marie, welcome to the Innovator Podcast. Hi, Asia Marie. How are you? I'm good, Erica. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you on today. It is strange times, no lie. I mean, we are taking it one day at a time, but there are so many amazing female entrepreneurs who are building and innovating during this time. So I'm excited to have you on because you're an attorney for entrepreneurs and encourage your clients to go big to make sure that their ducks are in a row. So how I always like to start every episode is for you to start us at the very beginning and talk to us a little bit about what your early life was like and how your story has evolved to get you where you are today. Sure. So I grew up in Philadelphia, went to public school there. And actually in high school, I went to a performing arts high school and I was a dance major and really um, was really creative during that time of my life. And then I went off to college in Georgia. I went to Georgia State University. And then I worked for a few years, had my daughter. And then when my daughter was four, I decided to go to law school. And part of the reason why was her, um, I was a single mother, her father was incarcerated, and it kind of left me feeling like I needed to show her that no matter, you know, what obstacles are put in front of you, you still can achieve your own goals. And so I was giving myself every excuse not to go to law school, like, oh, I'm a single mom, how am I going to get that done? Or, oh, her father is incarcerated, that's embarrassing. Or, you know, I just had every excuse in the book. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to just take control of my life, I'm going to go to law school, I'm going to achieve, and I'm just going to go after what I want to do. And so instead of making an excuse. I just made a way. So I went to law school in Pittsburgh at the University of Pittsburgh. It was the, probably the hardest three years of my life. If I had to do it all over again, I don't, I mean, I guess I would, <laughs> you know, I don't know that the jury is still out on that one, but, um, you know, we made it through and then, you know, I took the bar exam and now I'm licensed in Pennsylvania and I'm also licensed in New Jersey. I've been, you know, practicing law for the past five years. 
well, excuse me, it'll be five years officially in October. And, um, you know, I enjoy every second of it and I don't regret any of the decisions I make. And I decided to help entrepreneurs because, oh, I missed that part of my story. So before law school, I was a makeup artist and I had a makeup company and I didn't register the trademark. And two years into the business, I got a, a franchise deal. Someone wanted, an investor wanted to come in and franchise the business. But when you franchise a business, you have to own all your intellectual property. Everything has to be correct. I always say you have to have your legal ducks in a row in order to package it and convince people to buy into your franchise. Well, we did a trademark search, hired an attorney, and someone else was already using that name in another state. So at the time, I didn't know. I could have a business name in Pennsylvania, but then also someone else could have that same business name in Texas. And you wouldn't know because the states do not talk to each other. They don't tell each other, hey, someone in this state has the same business name as you. And so essentially I could not get the trademark for that business because they were in business about nine months before me. And so now that I am an attorney, I represent entrepreneurs and I really preach that sermon that you should really look to see if you feel like you're your business name is valuable, your clients really identify you by that name, that business name or that trademark that you're using, you really should take the next step to register that trademark on the federal register to give you that protection in case there is another business that has the same name as you in another state. Um, and you may be the, the first person to have the name, you may not, but but to wait until it's too late to find that information out could really be harmful. So that's how I kind of gotten into this space as being a lawyer for entrepreneurs. I had my own, made my own mistakes, learned from them, very, a very hard lesson. That was a very big deal for me financially that I lost out on. And then, you know, now I'm here and I always tell my clients, if you truly believe in your brand and your business, if you're going to invest in it for the long term, you definitely want to have all of your contracts and all of your intellectual property, you know, taken care of. So hopefully that wasn't too long of a story, but that's kind of, you know, where I started and, you know, how I got to, to where I am today. That's so fascinating. I think there are so many entrepreneurs who don't realize they made a mistake until it's too late, until someone's knocking on their door and they're like, what are you doing? This is my trademark. So what is the number one mistake you see entrepreneurs make when it comes to ensuring that they're legally protected? And, you know, this is probably stuff that people had no idea even existed when they had this entrepreneurial idea. They don't even think about these things. Totally, totally. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, you just want to make money. You want to kind of prove your concepts and you want to, you know, change lives and help people or sell your products that are, you know, going to do good for people. So I would say the biggest mistake is just like not knowing. And then thinking that an LLC is going to give you kind of the power to, to do things on a national level. So your LLC is in your state and that's a good starting place. But if you really want to, you know, build your brand across state lines, you should really look to register your business on the federal level. And that's where your federal trademarks and your federal copyright registrations will come in. Yeah, that's great advice. Because I mean, when you do register that LLC, that LLC, excuse me, people are thinking, okay, I'm good. I, I have my ducks in a row. And they don't realize that you're just registering it in the state where you're operating. Um, so that's fantastic advice to register it on a federal level. Um, so let's say someone built up their brand like you did with your makeup company and maybe developed the trademark and started operating just to receive a cease and desist letter from a lawyer telling you you had to stop using the trademark or face legal repercussions. What do you do? 
you should hire an attorney and have them assess that cease and desist letter because you may not have to cease and desist. So I'll give you an example. I had a client, they were really upset. They got it. They received the cease and desist letter. And, you know, after doing an analysis, I'm like, you know, you all, your trademark has a similar word as theirs, but it's not identical. Um, it's different enough where I, I don't think you have to cease and desist, you know, and the only way they can really stop you is to file a federal lawsuit against you. And they're costly. They're going to have to pay an attorney to do that. So let's just let them, you know, put their money where their mouth is. We never heard from them again. So mm -hmm. sometimes those letters are look threatening and you definitely just need to consult with an attorney to see, am I really infringing upon someone else's trademark? Um, were they really using it first? Um, can I prove that I was using it first? Is it really a, you know, a big analysis that should be done to determine if you are in the quote unquote wrong? And if you are in the wrong, then that's when you definitely need to have an attorney negotiate something for you because you don't ever want to admit faults, right? So mm -hmm. there's a crafty way that we can respond to these letters when you're in the wrong. So, you know, we won't admit fault, but we'll say, you know, we'll respectfully stop, um, you know, and depending on how aggressive the other side is, we hope to come to an amicable solution to where you don't have to pay any amount of money for any, you know, profit you made while you were infringing on their trademark. So, you know, cease and desist can be, they can be, you know, it just kind of depends on the scenario. I could go on and on and on about different scenarios for cease and desist, but take them seriously because if they do have a registered trademark, when you get that registration, you have the duty to enforce your trademark or you lose that protection. So a lot of times people will get upset when the big brands like, you know, Gucci or you'll see the bigger brands going after smaller people counterfeiting their goods because they have to, or if they'll lose that protection. Cause what the court will say is you haven't been policing your brand. You can't just, you know, you haven't been trying to stop people from counterfeiting you. So why should the court stop you? So if another business owner is sending out a cease and desist to you, they're almost legally obligated, but it also has to be true infringement. The trademark needs to either be identical or very, very close in order for them to really assert that type of um, claim against you of infringement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One fascinating piece of advice that I got from a mentor was around intellectual property. And he told me that big companies so think of the Amazon, think of those large companies. So if you're becoming a big brand and you're making a lot of money, then it makes it worth their while to kind of come and take these legal actions against you because one, they might actually just want to buy you out. You know, they might want your product and your IP so that they could do it themselves. Or it might be that they know you have something. So like he said, when you're a smaller company, you don't have to be it's not on your radar as much because they're not coming after you because you're a small company. They know you don't have the money to make it worth their while, but it becomes an issue if you don't take those, those steps when you're smaller and then you build up to big and you never had your ducks in a row to begin with. You kind of sell yourself short when, like you said, from the latter perspective, where when you're starting off small and then you grow to big, and then now you're trying to scramble to get everything put together, when really you, you really want to get it together in the very, very beginning. I don't know if you've ever seen that meme where um, 
Amazon started in like a garage and um, now it's not. And so I know we all start pretty small, um, but we should definitely protect our big, our businesses from the perspective of what we know it can grow into be. So, you know, protect it as if it's big today. You know, don't focus on where you are now. Focus on where you really want it to be. If you want it to be a large company, you want to have multiple employees, um, you want to be in every big box store, you know, start protecting your business and treating it as such now. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic advice. So one thing that's kind of been like stirring in my mind since you started telling us about your story was from a dance major to makeup artist to lawyer. I mean, those are creative. I mean, a dance major and a makeup artist, those are very creative professions. Have you felt you've been able to use that creativity in the law field as well? So most of my clients are in the beauty industry, Um, hairdressers, makeup artists, barbers. um, I would say probably represent about 50% of the type of businesses that I assist. So I get to kind of live through them now. Um, And some of the makeup artists that used to work for me, they still call me. I'm still a resource um, available to them. I actually did a webinar for a group of hairstylists trying to teach them how to brand themselves. What I really, really, you know, like to do is when you are an, a creative an artist, you get paid for your time and for your skill. But you know, we, as you age and get older, you know, you become you may become less marketable or maybe more difficult to make income. And so now I try to help them think about, you know, if you get hurt or if you can no longer do hair or makeup or dance, you know, what can you do with the, the talent that you have to create, you know, some additional income that isn't tied to your physical ability. And so I kind of get my fix that way when I'm, you know, helping them with their legal issues and trying to help them, you know, create businesses that'll produce revenue, not only from their physical services, but also from, you know, their their intellectual property, um, you know, creating courses, creating um, some residual, residual income opportunities for them. I'm sure it's fascinating to see it through the lens of being a lawyer when you were a makeup artist yourself before. It really, really is. And some of my clients now, I was their makeup artist and now I'm their attorney and they've been on this journey with me. You know, I started my makeup business in 2009. So 11 years ago, I've had, you know, my makeup clients and I did very well in the, the, I was in the Philadelphia area. So I did a lot of like the local news anchors and you know we, we did very well um 11 years ago so it's it's, it's really fun that they have all kind of taken that transition with me you know when I went to law school they were like oh can you you know I was in Pittsburgh Pittsburgh is about five hours from Philadelphia which is where I was based out of doing makeup and they're like oh just come back on the weekends and do our makeup and I thought I was going to do that but after a while you realize a five-hour drive is is a lot just to go do a couple of uh, people's makeup on the weekend so it's fun that they supported me from that journey into this one and it's truly just been an honor and a blessing and I really enjoy what I do now. That's fantastic. So Asia Marie walk us through a normal day in your life if there even is such a thing as a normal day. A normal day is I get up at around 7 a.m. depending on the day I don't I don't eat breakfast I'll go grab a coffee and then I'll start to do some work. I typically 
do my client work earlier in the day. That's when my brain is the freshest and the sharpest. And so I, um, I like to focus on that. And then the second half of my day, I will take client calls, meetings, and you know, do the, the work that isn't as focused um, in the afternoon. And then, you know, I have my daughter, she's 12. Um, so school is about to start here. So I am trying to get her back on her school schedule. We're going to try to figure out how this virtual school year mm-hmm. is going to go. And then, you know, we have a nighttime routine and then that's pretty much it. So I used to go into the office. Um, now I do not. So I'm working from home. Um, it's different, but I enjoy it. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to see how these next, what's the school year about nine months goes. Um, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you know, we'll be back in the office on a regular schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck with, with homeschooling and everything. I know moms around the world right now are trying to figure this all out. So good luck with all of that. <laughs> I know. I know. So what is a book, a resource, or a podcast that you love and want to share with the audience? Uh, I'm going to say a book, and it may be, um, I may be biased, but my mother, she's retired, and she wrote her first children's book, and it's called My Name is Kayla, and it's by Allison Woods, and Kayla is the name of my daughter. So it's a, a children's book, probably from ages but from zero to five, a very, you know, kind of almost a picture book where she just discusses how Kayla was born and into like her early infant years. So I, I would recommend that book. I love that. I love a good children's book. Yeah. And, you know, my mom's never been an entrepreneur. This is her first time diving into entrepreneurship. You know, she was, you know, the baby, baby boomer stage. So she went to school, she worked her whole life and then she retired and decided she wanted to try to write her own books and, you know, put them on Amazon. And so she's been doing that and I'm just very proud of her. And then I'm happy that my Kayla gets to uh, be a part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes. So if people are listening and they have a young daughter themselves, that they're able to to check that out. Awesome. Well, Asia Marie, thank you so much for coming on. This was such great advice for women who are building during this time. And it's a great way for them to start thinking about what those next steps entail. Um, So we so appreciate you coming on and we want to wish you the best of luck with your 12-year-old daughter as the school year starts. You guys got it. Power through any kind of struggles. Um, But we wanted to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me and uh, congratulations to you and your engagement. Enjoy that. And, you know, again, thank you so much for having me.